0: A Christian lawyer wrote a letter to her friend. Dear friend, I was saddened, but I'm not surprised to hear you are thinking about divorce. As I understand it, over the years, you and your husband have argued with increasing bitterness. He does not appreciate your many sacrifices on his behalf, he is not a great provider. Glued to his phone, he ignores the kids and their needs, unless you remind him. You look at old photos and cry, unable to recapture the passion you once felt. It is hard to admit, but sometimes you feel repulsed by the man you are supposed to love. I know you love Christ and want to serve him. You also know that God forbids divorce, except in certain cases like adultery Abuse and abandonment, but you are struggling. You don't have biblical grounds for divorce, but your marriage is loveless and filled with fighting. It is hard to imagine God wants you to stay. Many couples go through seasons of terrible conflict in their marriage. You might be someone who has gone through real deep hardship in your marriage. In these times, it can be incredibly hard to remember God's plan for your relationship. What is God's plan? Well, in Genesis, God performed the first wedding in the Garden of Eden, creating Eve and giving her to Adam. God's wonderful design for marriage lasted even after sin entered into the world. Jesus said, what God joined together, let not man separate. But the problem with divorce is that it goes against the creation order. It goes against God's original plans for human flourishing. The Bible also talks about marriage in Ephesians. Marriage is a symbol for Christ and the church. Of course sinful men are unable to love their spouses with the same zeal and passion of the Lord Jesus Christ but until divorce ruins it the gospel should shine forth in a marriage. When people look at your relationship they should see Christ's love for his church. They should see a man who is offering everything he can for his wife. And you should see a woman in response to the love of the husband, serving him back. And this is a sacred relationship full of harmony, of mutual respect. But the problem with divorce is that it also spoils the witness of the gospel in a relationship. In fact, even non-Christians would agree that divorce is a terrible thing. Psychologists teach us that divorce can cause children to experience tragic levels of emotional distress and identity loss. In, the, in addition, decades of re- research have shown us that a, children, a child in a single-parent household is more vulnerable to poverty, abuse, and even school failure. Financial advisors make us aware that divorce has a significant financial impact on broken families. After the expensive lawsuits, divorce stretches our finances to breaking point. Your standard of living will drop, for it is often not possible to maintain two households due to the rampant cost of living today. It's hard enough to run one household, would you agree? Yes? (laughs) Real estate agents. I know you can't always trust them, but real estate agents tell us that divorce has also led the way for a housing crisis in Australia, says one property manager. Until more marriages are saved, the national rental crisis is likely to remain. And so for these reasons and many more, it's not surprising to see these quite intense words in Malachi. Chapter 2, verse 16. You ready? Quote, Malachi says this quote, God hates divorce. While some marriages are irreparable due to serious betrayal, violence, abuse, we as Christians ought to <laughs> fight. For the healing and restoration of marriages according to the way of Jesus. And our text for today in the book of Malachi is all about faithfulness in marriage. But before we look at this theme of marriage, we need to understand what the Bible means by faith and faithfulness. In the Oxford Dictionary, there are two definitions for faith. And the second one is this, ready? Faith is, quote, a strong belief based upon spiritual conviction rather than proof. Unlike this definition, faith in the Bible is not a superstitious superstitious leap into the dark, as Philip Jensen would say. It is not believing in an imaginary friend who whispers to us convincing tales of fantasy and folklore. Faith in the Bible comes to us in the context ready of a covenant biblical faith is the loyal commitment to a contract and trust in the contract between two people or things for example we might say you make a promise with me and i will have faith in you or I make a promise with you, and in faith, I must do what I promised you. Biblical faith is all about being faithful to what we said we would do and having faith in what the other person said they would do. Biblical faith, note this biblical faith is faith in an agreement and faithfulness to that agreement. Did you hear that? Do you remember that? Let me say it again. Faith, this is biblical faith. Biblical faith is a faith in an agreement and faithfulness to that agreement. For example, when I became a Christian, I declared that Jesus is my Lord. And then in that moment, I made a contract with God and God made a contract with me. What was that contract? That I would now live by faith for Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. I promised God that I would follow the way of Jesus until I die. And God also promised me in that covenant agreement between me and God at my conversion that God would be with me forever for all eternity As I continue to persevere in faith. But if I walk away from the Lord, guess what happens? That covenant agreement is broken. And I wasn't truly converted. Because I walked away from my Lord. Biblical faith is faith in an agreement and faithfulness to that agreement. For this reason, the covenant of marriage cannot work apart from faith and faithfulness. Two key ingredients, faith and faithfulness. If you need to constantly scan through your wife's messages to see if she's cheating, there is no faith in that covenant with her. If you have created a secret account on Tinder, on your second phone, then you are not sh- showing faithfulness in your covenants with your wife. The covenant of marriage cannot work without covenant faith and faithfulness by both people in that relationship. If one person fails, the covenant is likely to fail. The marriage will break down and it will be no good testimony to the world of our Christian faith. And so our passage for today is all about the covenant of marriage, covenant faith and faithfulness. And I want you to take a look at your scripture with me right now. Look at verse 10. The text opens with a question. Why do we profane the covenant by being unfaithful to one another? The passage continues by exposing the lawbreakers of the covenant. Verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful which is the people of Israel the men have been unfaithful and then the passage closes with a call to action be on your guard and do not be unfaithful the men in Israel are destroying two covenants they are breaking faith with God by ruining the covenant of marriage and so how is the covenant of marriage under attack point one Strange wives. In verse 11, we see the first accusation against the men of Israel. The men have done a detestable thing. Verse 11, quote, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Really, this is what was happening, friends. Jewish men were divorcing their wives to marry, in the words of the KJV, strange women who practised idolatry. The practice of intermarriage, therefore, was undermining the entire spiritual vitality of the people of God. But don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. There was no objection to marrying women of other races. When God saved the Jews from Egypt, many Egyptians left with them, and they received the mark of the covenants as well. But the issue here is that the Jewish men were divorcing their Jewish wives to marry daughters of a foreign god. That's the issue. The phrase daughter of, Carson tells us, implies bearing the character of a deity whose whole ethos was absolutely opposed to the law of God. Since a married couple must come together in a common understanding to live happily together, either the husband or the wife had to compromise on their core beliefs or values. Marriage outside the covenant family of God was forbidden by Moses, not because of racial or ethnic exclusion. Intermarriage was forbidden because pagan women turned covenant men away from God. In other words, by marrying women who worshipped another God, it is unlikely that you as a man of God would remain loyal to God. And that's the issue at hand. These Jewish men were walking far away from the Lord because they were marrying strange, pagan women who had no things in their mind, no place in their heart for the love of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 34 says, They will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And so God is angry right now at the Jewish men. He's angry because paganism has the power to penetrate the thick armour of a holy relationship with God. Even if you are the most holy man you can still succumb to the lust of the flesh and your faith can be undone by women. When I was 15, I became a Christian. But two years into my relationship with the Lord, things got rocky. I was 17 and I decided it's a good idea to date someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Flirt to convert was my hope. But the issue became this. I was the one breaking faith. We were no longer focused. I was no longer focused on the Lord Jesus. Rather, I was focused on music. Folk music. East Coast folk. It is good stuff. And we'll just play guitar together. She was a singer. I was the guitarist. But one day she said to me, Jesse, I don't think this is gonna work. You believe in God and I don't. And at that moment, I was freed. Praise be to God for his mercy. I was on the brink of losing faith altogether, just like the men of Israel. I was in an unwise relationship and it was ruining my relationship with the Lord. And so this principle remains relevant for us today. In fact, the warning of marrying unbelievers remains a big issue today. I'd like you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 16. Let me read these words from the Apostle Paul. They speak for themselves. Ready? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. We are to be a holy people in Jesus Christ who are called to win the world for Jesus Christ. But our holiness, our mission for the sake of Jesus is compromised when we unite ourselves with the flesh of our dying world. Hi. Marriage is intended to be much more than merely having someone in our home to come to at the end of the day to enjoy time around the fire with. Marriage is intended to be a spiritual union, a communion, a relationship ripe with adventure in which we share the deepest longings and aspirations of our heart. It is supposed to be the context in which we share our spiritual struggles and pray for one another regularly. It involves sharpening one another, rebuking one another when necessary, edifying one another spiritually, and encouraging one another in Christ. I'm thankful that my wife is a Christian. Because she tells me when I'm walking the wrong way. (laughs) I'm glad, sorry, my wife's glad that I'm a Christian because we share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. A Christian cannot connect on the deepest level of the soul with someone who does not share life in Christ. If we marry an unbeliever, there will always be a profound area of our life That is permanently shut off from that person. And it's sad. For this reason intermarriage between believers and unbelievers leads to a world of pain. It is reckless for an everlasting citizen of heaven to bind themselves for life. Really with a dying corpse of earth. I'm talking about men and women who have the option to have a Christian marriage. They should pursue that because this is as God's God intended. It's a different thing altogether if you are converted later in life um, from an unbeliever who's already married into a believer. Paul the Apostle talks about that in Scripture. That's another issue altogether. But if you have the option To find someone, make sure you find someone who loves the Lord Jesus as you do. Because your life will stink if that's not what you do. The first accusation is that men of Israel are marrying strange wives. And this brings us to the final accusation. Verse 13, look with me there. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And so after divorcing their spouses in the pursuit of strange wives, the men brought offerings to the Lord and wept at the altar seeking his help and his blessing. But God is disgusted by them. These men thought that by marrying strange wives, it would open up trade routes to other places. And that the prosperity would just come flooding into Israel. But who's sovereign over everything? God. And God knew their plan. And God still will not bless them. And so they're bringing sacrifices to the Lord, thinking that these sacrifices will be pleasing. But God is disgusted with them. Why? Look with me at verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. The reason God is disgusted is because he hates divorce. Divorce is hated by God because it is an act of violence. God hates divorce because divorce was violence against women in the ancient world. How is it violent? Well, the men of Israel were condemning their former wives to a miserable life as second-class citizens in society. One scholar says this, quote, The prophet deemed divorce a social crime, an act of violence or injustice, because it fractured the social glue of the divinely ordained marriage covenant and deprived the divorced women of the dignity and protection due to them. But it not only harmed poor wives and stripped them from all blessings, it not only hurt their security, it also harmed their children. Someone else says, quote, "Only when both parents remain faithful to their marriage vows can the children be given the security which provides the basis for godly living." She goes on to say the family was intended to be the school in which God's blessings would thrive and God's way of life would be practiced and learned. But if divorce becomes the norm, The men not only commit violence against their wives, they also commit violence against their offspring, their children, and deprive them of a rich, God-centered legacy. You might know before I came here, I was a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I had a great opportunity to do deep study into youth ministry and many um, surveys discovered that if men were not invested in the life of their children, spiritually speaking, if the men didn't come to church, if the men didn't disciple them by the word, then the kids are not very likely to continue the faith. However, if the husband, the father, is deeply invested into raising his children to know and love the Lord, if he's deeply invested into loving his wife, then up to 90% chance, there's a 90% chance, sorry, that these children will continue the faith beyond, they, beyond leaving home. But sadly, many generations have been lost for Christ by the infidelity of lusty, greedy Men. Many generations have been lost for Christ due to the unfaithfulness of husbands to the covenant of marriage. And so the point is plain. God is disgusted with the men of Judah because God hates divorce. God hates what they're doing. God hates the fact that they're throwing women and children out on the streets to fend for themselves. Even to this day, God hates divorce. God hates disloyal husbands. God cannot stand cheats. God despises adultery. God hates womanizers. God hates divorce. Do you feel the weight of the passage? It is a call for us all to pursue radical faithfulness in an age of unfaithfulness. This is countercultural stuff. People literally break up families because they say, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it today. I don't want to live here anymore. I'm gone. It's a sad reality. And so we have a clear call to action, particularly for men. Verse 16, be therefore on guard and do not be unfaithful. How do we remain faithful as men? Well, the old Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, A man is not kept chaste by having a wife, but by loving his wife. Love kills disloyalty. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a sacrificial love. This is a love that's not all about you. This is a love that puts the other first. This is a love that is willing to die for your spouse. Because she really is your flesh. She is a part of you. You are one. When you put that ring on your her finger, you bound yourself to her for life. And so, men, ask God in prayer for the grace you need to uphold your marital vows, and to help you love your spouse like Christ loved you. But do not stop with prayer. Show her your love through sacrificial actions and practical ways. Cook her a candlelit dinner. Surrounded by roses, just shock her one night. (laughs) Massage her feet while sipping on a strong, um, some strong wine and watch a nostalgic film from the time when you first started dating. Write a letter of heartfelt appreciation, recognizing all the things that she does for you and your family. Be a gentleman of high virtue and a provider who works hard. Make sure she always has enough money to go to the hair salon if need be or to buy that dress she desires. Most of all, be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Amen. Amen.